Productions. Welcome back to the Phil in Exile podcast. Hello, all you fellow exiles. You can be an exile for any reason you want. It doesn't really matter. Uh, maybe, you know, there's odd, the obvious sort of uh, political national exile, uh, but you can be an exile for all sorts of reasons, I've discovered. Um, and uh, I, I may cover a couple of those today. But uh, yeah, if you're an exile out there, then maybe maybe this will resonate with you. How are you doing? I hope I hope you're doing okay. Uh, I'm I'm doing all right. It's snowing here in uh, in Germany. It's snowing and cold, and they're expecting more snow overnight. So very excited. Uh, I'm not used to driving on snow here in uh, in well anywhere because I lived in Texas, and uh, the the driving is a little uh, treacherous for me. My house is on kind of a, a hill, so I get a little panicky driving down the road. But so far so good. I've been making it. But uh, yeah. Uh, it's snowing where I am. I hear it's snowing a lot of the world, actually. Uh, my my people back in the United States all over the place are telling me about snow. So I think uh, we're not alone. A lot of that going on around here. Uh, my my friend in, who lives in the middle uh, of the Indian Ocean, he says that uh, he had a typhoon. So we're, we're covering all the bases. Let's have let's have some weather, everybody. What do you say? Let's let's get some weather out there. Anyhow. We took a little trip. Uh, my kids and I did. We went to uh, Wissembourg, France, uh, which is just across the border. I mean, like six inches across the border. Like you see the sign that says, welcome to France. And then pow, you've, you're in this city. It's just across the, the border from Germany. And, uh, and we went to this town. It's not really like a, a touristy place. It's, uh, it's only got like 7,500 people in the town. It is a small town for sure. Genau. Okay, it is a small town, but some people told us, several people told us, they said, it, you should pop across the border. It's about an hour away. Just hop over there because there's a little store to get a sweet treat at. There's a, a, a patisserie, if you want to be of our French, a, a little a little shop uh, that, I, I again, I want to say it's well known. It's well known in these parts because it's the closest little French place like this. It, to our town, but I, I don't think it's really like known nationally or anything. I mean, France has a lot of a lot of good eating over there in that country. But uh, people around here told us they said go check it out. Little place called uh, Daniel Rebert, and uh, it's a it's a place that sells like little tarts and little cakes and chocolates and all sorts of things, little baked goods. And anyhow, they said go check it out. But you know, they had me at Sweet Treat because Sweet Treat has kind of become the battle cry of our house this uh, this holiday season, this winter. My kids came uh, home. Oh, I guess this is home now. That's weird to say. Came home from college. My home is in Germany now. Hmm. I'm going to have to get used to that. Anyhow, my kids came home uh, on their winter break, and uh, my daughter sort of started this thing in the afternoon, like, uh, isn't it time for a little sweet treat? And that really came about because we had the winter markets, the Christmas markets, and you could just pop down and grab a little something-something, a little crepe, a little little, uh, little brochen, a little uh, Reibekuchen, uh, some Glühwein. But we decided that uh, that we liked this this policy of a sweet treat, and it didn't even have to be sweet treat. Sometimes it was just that was a, a euphemism for something, you know, whether it was a glass of wine or a piece of cheese or something. But we kind of got in the habit. Uh, I don't think my doctor is going to be real fond of that habit, but we got in the habit of a sweet treat in the afternoon. So when somebody said, "Hey, there's a place across the border," 
with amazing sweet treats. We were like, done, let's go. So um, we hopped in the car and drove to this town. And it's kind of, it was, it was an amazing drive. It was uh, amazing on two levels, amazing in its beauty and amazing in my terror. So we went one way there and it was through the forest, the Palatinate forest, and it was just gorgeous. I mean, it was stunning. We, we kept just exclaiming. We'd turn around a bend and go, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful here. It's just shocking how pretty it is. But then on the other hand, I was terrified because it was these little two-lane uh, roads through the forest and, and the lanes are tiny and I'm in a, a, a an SUV, American US spec SUV, and these hairpin little winding roads taking us down there. And I, I do not, I'm not a good... I, I'm not good with spatial reasoning in cars. I, I have a hard time knowing where my sides are. I know this is terrifying for anyone who's going to ever ride with me or be on the road with me. Uh, I'm famously bad at parking a car. I just can't, for some reason, putting something in the middle between the two lines, it's just very hard for me. And so winding through these roads, oh, it was, it was I was a little white knuckled, a little nervous, a little tense when I got there. But the good news is it was a beautiful drive. We get there. And it's a cute little town. It's got a canal that runs through town. So it's, you know, a little winding river through town. And and we parked and, and then we, we knew that there was a church there because, you know, Europe, there's a church there. So even though it's a small town, 7,500 people, it has a a cathedral-ish sort of item in the middle of town. It's an a- abbey church. And um, And so we decided to go poke around at the church because most of the time these churches are open you can wander in and they're 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 interesting but here's the thing i i fell in love with this little church uh i i i've been to a lot of i mean been to a lot of churches well there's a whole there's a whole separate story about church that i'll I'll probably get to here in a minute but you know i've seen the sort of famous ones like even here in germany the the dome in cologne uh cologne and then you know notre dame and and uh, sacre coeur in france you know in paris and i've seen some of these famous famous places and i've got more i want to see but when you go to those they're touristy right there's people there there's always people there they're they're full of people taking pictures and looking at this and looking at that they don't really feel as much like a church as they do like a like a ride at a at a theme park, right? <laughs> like they're they're it's you, you feel more like you're in a museum and less like you're in a church. And they're beautiful and they're stunning, but they're they just they sort of lose the concept of church. But this little church, so we walk up and there's a sign on the door that says like, hey, welcome, come in. But it's like a like a sign printed on somebody's laser printer and then laminated. Like it's not like a plaque or professionally done. This was done by somebody and just stuck up on the door. That's And it basically says, hey, this is a real church. This is the local parish church. So, you know, you're welcome to come in and have a little meditation, a little contemplation. Um, and so we wandered in and and it was totally empty not not a soul there except for us just the three of us so we walk in the door you know it's this big heavy wooden door right you open the and it sounds like and it's it's resonating through the you know the giant stone room that you're in and it and it kind of closes behind you bang and then you're in this you know again this is not a huge place it's not like a tourist destination cathedral, but it's by by my standards, it's a pretty big, pretty big building. And so we come in, and it's it, there's nobody there, 
there are lights on, but it's, you know, it's most, it's kind of dim, but there's light pouring through the, the stained glass into the room. And, and then we notice there's music playing, like just on a stereo system, just faintly, you know, you can hear it, but it's, it's joy to the world in English. So it's kind of, it was a little magical because we haven't really heard a lot of Christmas music in our own language unless we put it on the stereo at our house. And so we walk in the door of this church and they're playing Christmas songs in English and not just in English, like Great Britain English, but then they do like, I hear go tell it on the mountain, which is kind of a traditional American song. And, and I, it's like, wow. Okay. And then it alternated to some like. Handel's Messiah and some things like that. So it was, but it was really quite lovely. It was really, really striking. And there's nobody there. So you're not distracted by people milling around or trying to get photo ops. So we just like looked around and then sat down. My daughter, she wanted to draw things. She's an artist. So she immediately got out her sketchbook. There were frescoes all over the walls. And there's, you know, all this ornate stuff and these carved confessional booths and carved pulpit and the, the gilded altar and all this stuff, which I, I realize there's a whole thing with, you know, opulent churches that we ha we'll have to figure out at some point in time. But, but it was just so interesting to be in there and have no distractions of any kind. It was a beautiful little place. It really was. It was really nice. And, uh, of course, I think there's some fascinating um, psychology underneath the fact that I, I like churches best when there's no one in them. Uh, <laughs> I have to unpack that. Because you see, for me, here's the thing for me. Churches are, occupy a, a weird outside space in my head because I've spent much of my life in churches. I, I was born into a church, basically. Like, not my mom didn't go into labor in the church, but it might as well have been because, I, I mean, church was our home away from home because my dad was a minister. So I was a pastor's kid. And we were at church all the time. And then, against all better judgment, I somehow stumbled into becoming a minister myself for 17 years professionally. And so, obviously, I spent tons of time in churches. And so churches occupy this, this really huge space in my head because eventually I, I left church work because I couldn't, I couldn't handle the money and business angle of the whole thing. And I retreated into education, the, the relative purity of education. And I say that with, with a little tongue in cheek, but comparatively, at least I understood the product in education that we were, that we were selling. We were selling an education. We were selling a, a diploma at the end of this thing, but I, anyhow, I, I, I was sitting in this church and it was kind of nice because there was nobody there. It was quiet except for the really faint, beautiful music. My kids are here with me. Unfortunately, my wife couldn't be with us. She was at work, but it was a really nice moment. And I got to thinking as I looked around the church, because here's the thing, this church, it, it's a 13th century church. Or it was originally built in the 13th century, obviously, you know, time and revolutions and wars, things had happened, but but the original structure and much of what was there was begun in the 13th century. And I was looking at this, and this is often the case in these churches in Europe. These, these churches took hundreds of years to complete because it wasn't like they could just go, you know, we're going to go use the mechanized laser cutter at the quarry to make the stone. No, some dude with a hammer and a chisel had to carve out the stones, right? And, and, 
he he might have died and then his son had to take over and then that guy died and his son took I mean these things took generations to build and it was so interesting because you could look and in particular I've gotten really interested in the stonework because you could see the 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 stonemason's mark, right? You could see their mark on some of the stones and you saw that they'd had to hire different masons and different different builders and probably over different generations, but you could see that mark still hammered into the stone on certain stones that represented, this is where these people started their work. And I thought about how crazy it was that there were people who worked on just you know, what did you do? I, we made a few stones for this church. We made a few bricks for this place. And I wondered about, you know, when you, you know a little bit about history, you know about the history of the church. And, and again, I have a really stormy relationship with institutionalized religion. But, but I was sitting there and I was thinking about, you know, what did people think when they were building this thing? Because, you know, I mean, in America, if, for, if we're like, oh, that building project took 18 months, it was it was a nightmare. I mean, this took hundreds of years to complete, right? Soup to nuts. What were people thinking as each, each brick was laid, as every stage of this thing? And I thought of all the people involved, how many people were involved and what was going through their minds, you know? And I thought it's probably like anything else related to church or or probably almost any institution, is that you have people who really, really believe, right? Like, this is important. There were probably people who were like, look at me, I am making a stone for God. I'm making a stone for the the, the church. I'm going to make this stone, and this is a... a, a this is an, an effort I'm going to do because I'm doing something for for God's kingdom, right? Maybe really purely intended, maybe real sincere. And then, of course, we know there are people that, that weren't doing things for the right reasons, and they were trying to consolidate power and gain influence and make money. And I, I read a little bit about this church, and there's some shady stuff in its history for sure. And and so you know there were people who were, you know, this was about them. This wasn't about God. It wasn't about belief. It was about them and about their objectives. And I thought, you know, that's, that's not unlike every other church in history. And I, when I say church, I'm talking about these places that like, you know, have a, have a, an address and a, and a 501c3 tax exempt status. And they, you know, have a, have a staff and whatever that that whole again the whole institutionalized business model corporatized endeavor that gets called church and i thought you know it's it's probably like that most places there's going to be people who really have a, a, a sincere desire to do something good and then you're going to have people who are just wrecking things man and doing it for all the wrong reasons and it's crazy how how that can just really leave a bad taste in your mouth. And I'm trying, I'm trying to like stay away from the end of the pool with uh, all the cynicism floating in it, because that is a very, uh, that's like, it's like the cynicism hot tub. Have you ever noticed you can get in that cynicism hot tub and you just settle in and it's nice and warm and bubbly. And you're like, this feels pretty good to sit here and feel cynical and superior to everything. But I've discovered that if you stay in the cynicism uh, hot tub too long, you get pruny and lightheaded. So I'm trying to avoid the uh, cynicism hot tub these days. And I was trying to think about these people making stones for a building that they would never see completed. And maybe there were a few of them that really meant well. 
Maybe so. I don't know. Is that really Pollyanna to think that? Is that just totally hoping that there was something good going on? Or were they just like, I don't know, I'm just getting paid, man. Just Because just, there's that too, right? Just here to get paid. Just here to get, get the dough. So I, I don't know, but I, I had this thought of, as I was looking at all the many hands that had to be involved in making this giant building. And I, it also struck me when I looked at it, I thought, Phil Bryan, you have no, no mechanical motor ability in the world. Like the, the, the delicate work, the carving on there, I, I read about some of the some of the stuff that was made for this church and this like hand carved from walnut these these uh, like these these uh, confessional booths and things i mean it was it was shocking it was i i just stood back and you know again the apparently the largest <laughs> i read it has the largest uh figure painting in france it's this 36 foot painting of saint i can't remember who it was i don't know anyhow um and i just remember my daughter was like i i'm going to draw his shoes like he did have funky shoes on but it it, it was a, it was a stunningly beautiful place it was really, really amazing, and all the craftsmanship and all the work, and 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 it's so funny that now these churches just are barely have anyone who shows up as a church, right? They, they, it's almost nobody shows up to the churches as churches anymore. So it's it's an interesting sort of juxtaposition. Anyhow, I I like I say, church occupies way too much real estate in my brain so you'll have to forgive the digression on church because i don't know it, it was it was a weird moment because it was it was a beautiful place and it was just quiet and empty enough that i could have a thought and that was really nice so i thought you know it's maybe i should hop over to Wissembourg, france uh once in a while to just have a thought that's uh, just step into church and and not be distracted by all the hoopla that often is associated. Anyhow, after that, we uh, grabbed some lunch. Lunch was average. We we ordered the wrong thing at the place we went to, but that's okay, because then we went and got our sweet treat at the pâtisserie. And, ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you, it was it was kind of amazing. In fact, so we all ordered different things. And I, I noticed what my kids ordered and my daughter ordered something that I looked at. I'd looked at the description and I literally thought to myself, well, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound like it would work. That doesn't sound like a good flavor combination at all. I ordered something that really by, by comparison was, was strangely boring. Mine was just like variations on hazelnut. Okay. To, to be fair, okay, I did try to order something a little more interesting, but they were out of it by the time we got there. But I ordered something that ended up being like a hazelnut-type cookie with a hazelnut sort of meringue inside and then a cream. And then it was just – it was kind of – it was delicious, but it was like this is about hazelnut flavor. My daughter got something that was like – it was like a chocolate and a and a – and then a like a cookie and then like a cream and then like a mango citrus thing. And I was like, that doesn't seem like the right combination of flavors. Holy mackerel. Uh, she, her words, these are her words were, I'm having to hold myself back from standing up and shouting as I eat this. It's the best thing I've ever, ever eaten. 
So just goes to show a lot of things you can prove in there. One is that I choose the safe choice on desserts and on a lot of things. And uh, I was wrong about my assessment of that flavor combination. And man, everybody was right. The little place in Wissembourg, the Danielle Reber Patisserie is worth a visit. If you're ever in the neighborhood, ladies and gents, you should check it out. Delicious. And uh, so we picked up some extras to bring home to mom since she couldn't join us. And I drove back a different way that wasn't quite as scenic, but did not give me uh, elevated blood pressure. So all's well that ends well. But that was our big excitement for for the last week was going to uh, across the border to to France. And uh, I'll have to go back. But uh, yeah. Sweet treats and empty churches, man. That's uh, That was on my brain this week. Sweet treats and empty churches. Anyhow, I hope it is it is going well with you and uh, wherever you are in exile or not in exile. I uh, hope you're making it through. And uh, as always, I want to make sure to wish peace and love to everyone. <laughs>